Hey everyone, it's Caleb, and I'm so excited that you've decided to spend a few minutes of your day here with me on the Learner's Corner podcast. Today, I am honored to be joined by Taylor Schumann, who has recently released a brand new book called When Thoughts and Prayers Aren't Enough, A Shooting Survivor's Journey into the Realities of Gun Violence. And one of the things that I say on the podcast, and really kind of the aim for the podcast, is to create a safe place to have difficult conversations with people. Because that's how we grow, is through uncomfortable, through difficult conversations, conversations that stretch us, through conversations with people that maybe we don't agree with 100%. And that's why it's it's important for us to, I think, for me personally, uh, just to have that mindset throughout life. And it's especially important to have whenever it comes to conversations and topics around emotional topics. And one of those very emotional topics is around gun violence. And so that's why I think it's uh, very important uh, for us to have this conversation, because I would rather talk about the things that are happening in the world than ignore the realities of the world. And so that's why I'm talking with Taylor today. I'm super excited to jump into that conversation here in just a couple of minutes. But if this happens to be your first time listening to the podcast, as I mentioned, we want to create a safe place to have difficult conversations. And if you've gone throughout life, you've probably realized that you can't have a conversation with just about anybody for maybe a various of different reasons, maybe because you're afraid of the the anger that you'll experience from that person, or you're um, nervous about being judged or shamed or put down, whatever it might be. You just come to realize that you can't talk with anyone about anything or about everything. But here on the Learner's Corner podcast, we want to create a place for those types of conversations because we truly believe that we can learn from anyone and from everyone, from anything and from everything, regardless of whether or not we agree with that person or not. And sometimes the example, we learn from their example of what to do. And other times we learn what not to do as well. And so If this happens to be your first time, I'm so grateful that you're spending a few minutes here on the podcast. Normally, I recommend uh, a resource, but just as I was trying to uh, come up with something that can maybe further the conversation, I realized that that this is just a subject that I just need to learn a lot more about and that I haven't explored um, a ton, which is part of the reason why I wanted to talk with Taylor. As well, and so uh, my recommended resource is just going to be uh, checking out Taylor's book and going to her website. She has a lot of great articles on there as well, and you could dive in that. Or if you if you're like, hey, uh, this is some great stuff that you've learned from, I would love to hear from you as well. And uh, you just hit me up at uh, at Caleb J Mason on Instagram. Would love to hear from you. Also, or you can uh, go to my email at Caleb Mason ninety one. Uh, at gmail.com. So would love to hear from you on this. Let me tell you a little bit about Taylor, and then we're going to dive right in to the conversation. So Taylor is a survivor of the April 2013 shooting at a college in Christianburg, Virginia. She is a writer and activist whose writing has appeared in Christianity Today, Sojourners, and Fathom. She is a contributor to If It Don't Make It, I Love You, or If I Don't Make It, I love you. Survivors in the aftermath of school shootings. Taylor and her family currently live in Charleston, South Carolina. And so without any further wait, here is my conversation with Taylor Schumann. Well, Taylor, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. And just as we're getting started, you know, uh, a lot of what's going to drive our conversation is uh, is your brand new book called When Thoughts and Prayers Aren't Enough. And just as we get started, um, I would just love it if you just kind of shared the really just kind of the story and the events that happened in your life that led you to, you know, that kind of led you on this journey. Yeah. So um, back in 2013, I was working for um, a community college in Southwest Virginia and um, it was just a regular day at work. And then um, I 
I turned around and there was a young man standing there with a shotgun pointed at, at me. And thankfully, um, I had enough time to duck underneath my desk. Um, he kind of followed my coworker around the corner and I was able to run into a supply closet that was behind my desk. And um, as I shut the door, he fired through the door um, and the bullet went through my hand. Um, I was able to kind of hide out in that closet. I wasn't able to lock the door because it locked from the outside and my key was back at my desk. Um, I didn't have my phone or anything. So I was just hoping that someone was calling 911. And um, he... I could just kind of hear gunshots as he went around the school. And thankfully, only one other person uh, was wounded, a student, and she survived as well. Um, He did fire through the door one more time, but the bullet missed me, thankfully. And um, yeah, a couple minutes later, I heard voices kind of shouting that it was okay. And, you know, is anybody hurt? You can come out. It's safe. And I, I kind of stuck my hand out through the door so they could see that I was hurt and I needed help. And um, they came over and, and helped me get out of the, of the school. And ambulance came in and took me to the hospital where um, my fiance had, had heard about it and was able to come meet me. And then some friends and family showed up. I was transferred to another hospital to have my first surgery. And um, I had three more after that, about a year of of occupational therapy and counseling. I, I still do counseling. Uh, it's the best. <laughs> and um, um, yeah, that's kind of where where the journey began and um, kind of how how I got to where I'm at now. yeah what what were uh, what were those first you know few days, weeks, months like afterwards, just because, um, you know, if you go through something traumatic like that, like it's not like we hear about it in the news and yeah. it's over. But for yeah. you, I mean, literally you said that, and you you write about this in the book, like there's still like tr- things that trigger you Oh yeah, and everything. And can you just talk about just that dynamic of like, this, this might be something that you just deal with the rest of your life. And while everybody else is just, you know, moving on. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things. I think anyone who's experienced, um, some sort of tragedy or trauma, even, you know, a death of someone close to them, um, those, those first days and and weeks and months, you imagine that those are going to be kind of the hardest time, right? Because it's, it's so fresh, it's so new, but often that's the time when, when people are, are kind of paying attention to it. You know, I, we had so much support in those first weeks and months, um, you know, as as kind of you do after a tragedy, but eventually time goes on and people who it didn't happen to are kind of able to go back to the normal life and, you know, they don't have to think about it as much and you're not getting the cards in the mail and the meals coming to your house. And so for everyone else, it kind of fades away. And for you, you're thinking, but this is still my life. I'm still struggling. This is still hard. And it's easy to kind of feel isolated and and almost forgotten about in in those moments. So I think that in those first weeks and months, we were super busy. The shooting happened about six weeks before our wedding, which we were able to still have, thankfully. But you know, there was a lot of happy things to focus on. There was um, even in the midst of of the really hard stuff. And yeah, so for me, things kind of started setting in you know, a few months later when I'm facing another surgery and mm-hmm. uh, more pain meds and more physical therapy and um, kind of getting into the nitty gritty stuff that that is recovery from something like that. And, you know, going to doctor's appointments where they're saying, we don't know if you're going to get any use of your hand back. Okay, maybe you'll get 10% use. And, you know, I it's it always reminds me of, um, there's a book by Shauna Nyquist called Bittersweet. And she has a line in that book about, you know, it's it's almost impossible to imagine that you're sitting here going through this horrible thing and there are people just waiting for the bus and going to work. And, you know, life is going on around you and and you're just dealing with this kind of unimaginable stuff. And so, yeah, I like to say, you know, you imagine that that day is the hardest day, but 
there are a lot of hardest days that come that come after. And that doesn't even include like what we're dealing with, with like the courts. And, you know, we, we had a lot of legal stuff because the shooter that shot me survived. And that's not, um, something that's super common. Um, so a lot of people that go through shootings don't necessarily have to go through the legal process, but, but we did. And so we were learning a lot about a lot of things in a short period of time. Yeah. I was gonna say, and that's just one aspect of your life too. There's all like, there's just the other, like just general life hardships too. Yes. Like what are we having for dinner? And, uh, you know, who's going to fold the laundry and, you know, we, we were newlyweds and like, you know, I had a few other friends get married around the same time and we'd be talking and they're kind of talking about their little fights that they're having, you know, you know, learning each other, living with each other, domestic things. And, you know, I'm thinking I would love to be having a fight about who's going to do the dishes. Like we're, we're meeting with lawyers and figuring out if I'm, and, and I don't say that to minimize, but to say I was, I was so jealous. Like I just, I wanted to have that kind of normal thing I'd always imagined for myself. And and my life was just so different um, from everyone else. Yeah. I was going to say, and, and, uh, I do want to, in a little bit, I do want to ask you about what helped you get to, you know, I don't know if acceptance is the right word um, with just your own story. But first I wanted to ask you, one of the, one of the intriguing things that I found in your book is that, um, you know, before, uh, before the shooting incident, uh, you had a different opinion as it concerns, you know, gun reform and everything. And like, you know, you have this quote in the book and you said, you know, I, I had always been a staunchly pro-Second Amendment, always asserting guns were not the problem. The problem was an abundance of evil in the world and a severe lack of available mental health care. And then you go through, you know, this incident, this this event, this trauma, this strategy, and you have to wrestle with those previous beliefs, which maybe everyone may not have that exact thing that they're able to wrestle with. I think we've all had stuff where we have these beliefs we go through like a life-changing event and we have to deal with uh, deal with that. Yeah. Can, can you talk about like just going through that? What what helped you through that and like navigating like these new beliefs or these new I- ideas that you now hold? Yeah. Um it was so hard. It it's one of those things I think um especially if you grew up um as a Christian in church and I I, I think it might be like specifically evangelicals. I'm not familiar like with other groups if, if they kind of go through the same thing, but like from a very young age, you're taught that like you have to know what you believe and you have to be able to have a conversation about it and, uh, you know, give an answer for the beliefs that you have and you are what you believe, you are your opinions. And so it kind of becomes very ingrained in you subconsciously, even that like, you are what you believe and you have to be firm in that. And you, you don't want to waver because then people are going to question you. And, you know, and I think um, even growing up like in a really conservative home, I think that's, that's kind of pushed too. Like we have beliefs that are tied to our faith and, you know, you have to be pro this and anti this. And, and so when you start to feel like when you've grown up with that, you start to feel one of these threads being pulled, mm-hmm. you know, and it feels like if you let it happen, if you pull any more, the whole thing is just going to unravel and you have no idea how to knit it back together. And, and that's hard. Um, and I think this is a common thing that a lot of people have been going through the past few years. I know so many people that, um, in my life have, um, you know, kind of felt that unraveling of whether it's parts of their faith or their politics. Um, it's really hard. Um, I think there, God gave me so much grace in allowing myself to say, hey, like the tailor that believed these things, her heart was good. Your heart was good. And you wanted, you thought you were doing what was right and you believed these things and it wasn't out of malice or um, ignorance or anything. You just, you were doing what you thought was right and that's okay. And now, you know, new things, you've experienced new things. I'm showing you new things. Um, and, and there's grace for that. And let's just continue on this path. Um, so God gave me a lot of peace about 
how I was changing. Um, I think the conflict kind of comes externally, you know, when you're trying to figure out how to talk to people that you've known for so long and explain. Um, for me, and it was a lot of like whispers of like, wow, Taylor's so liberal now. And, and she believes some crazy stuff and like, is she still going to church and, you know, stuff like yeah. that. And I'm like, yes, yes, please. Like, I'm not crazy. Like I, you know, I'm not a Satanist. I still, yeah. you know, love Jesus. And just let me tell you why. And um, yeah, so I, it can be so hard. And thankfully I, now I have so many friends who've, who've kind of walked through that. And um, even when it comes to guns, I'm kind of helping some of my friends go through that process. And I've got people I can talk to about it with, but it really can be so disorienting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think we need to have some more conversations about like, it is okay to say, wow, I learned some new things and I'm reconsidering some things and I'm still me, yeah. you know, I'm still me. I'm just learning new things and maybe some things I thought were wrong and, and that's okay. Um, I think we, we don't have a lot of conversation about that. We don't have a lot of grace for that. We, you know, we, you kind of have to be black and white on whatever you're talking yeah. about. And I think we just have to say, I don't know. I'm thinking about it. Yeah. That's yeah, I was saying that's really the goal for like the the podcast. Like one of the yeah. things that I say on the podcast is, or kind of the mantra is like, "Hey, we want to create a safe place for difficult conversations." Yeah. Just because it's exactly what you were saying. Because there's some people to where it's like, "Oh, I can have the difficult conversation. Like I can have the conversation around gun reform, and we can have, uh, and it not get super emotional." And then there's other people to where it's like, "Nope, not not even not even bringing." It up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I know. I'm I'm picking one of the easiest uh, topics to have conversations yeah. about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, talk talk with me about the and I, I mean you briefly mentioned it a little bit, but like there's also the part of like just the faith part, it, mm-hmm. like reconciling it with this story and reconciling it with God and what we were talking about earlier of like reconciling with like just accepting your story of like, Hey, this is, this is the story that you have. And just, yeah, just reconciling like all of that. Cause that's a, yeah. just a tough thing. It is. And, you know, I am really thankful. I never had kind of like a, I, I wouldn't call it like a crisis of faith or anything. I never really stopped believing in God, but, um, I experienced him in a new way. Um, and, learn new things about him and he revealed himself to me in, in new ways. And that's not to say I like didn't have a lot of questions for him about what was happening to me because, you know, there were certainly days I was like, God, I am really mad at you and I cannot believe this happened to me. And what on earth, like, does this mean for me? And, you know, um, I didn't realize that I kind of had a, sense of entitlement about my faith until this happened to me. But, you know, it really was revealed to me kind of the idea that I clung to that was like, I'm doing all the right things and I've made good decisions. And, um, you know, I thought I was doing a good job and I was going to church and I was nice to people. And um, so this bad thing shouldn't have happened to me. And like, what does it mean that it did? Um, And experience that like no one is immune <laughs> to to suffering and, and trauma and um and kind of once I noticed that in myself I was able to realize that in those moments of kind of even being trapped in that closet and then the aftermath of that like I never felt closer to God than I did in those moments and there was no way I could have experienced him in that way and come away from it and thought oh God isn't real I can't believe in God anymore like it was it was too real. He was too close to me. It was, um, too tender, um, to think of anything else. And so I think that like suffering and kind of what I went through, things like that just make you experience God in a way that you just can't otherwise, um, at least for me, that was true. And, um, And so God showed me kind of some places where I'd been complacent or um, hadn't seen about his character before and how that could play out in my life, not just like nice ideas uh, about injustice and taking care of 
the poor and the marginalized and and the people that are kind of unseen in our society. Those things aren't just like nice ideas that he threw out there as like options. Like these are mandates yeah. in our faith. We have to do these things. But I just didn't really have to see that before because I'd lived a pretty okay and comfortable life. Um, and so now, you know, it for so long, it was way too hard to say, oh, I'm thankful this happened to me. And like, you know, someone had asked, like, if you could go back and not have this happen to you, would you? And I would have said, yes, absolutely. Like, I didn't want this to happen to me. Mm-hmm. But now I just see so many ways that it has transformed me. I'm a better person now. I think I'm a better friend now. I I hope that I'm a better follower of Jesus now than I was before. And, and I can really see, you know, the ways that he's used it for my good. And, and um, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, it's it's so cliche, but it's still so true. It's Romans 8, 28. He works yes. all things together for good. Those who love him, who are called according to your purpose. And it's just one of the most perplexing things about God. I think yeah. is the he could take something so horrible and like as as the scripture says, use it for good, which is just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's maybe one of the hardest truths to accept um about God. You know, it's it's why we are constantly asking God, why do you let bad things happen? And and what do we do with with these things? And it's right there, you know, he turns them. He turns, you know, our ashes into beauty and yeah. and our our horrible experiences in, into good and good for us and good for others. And um, yeah, eventually we have to say, okay, maybe, maybe you're right. <laughs> maybe yeah. this is true. Maybe <laughs> what I believe in this book is actually true. Yeah. I was gonna say, and like the ultimate expression of it is Jesus. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we and we we think we're like immune. <laughs> to, to that type of experience in the world. Yeah. Like, but that's just, that's not it. Like, that's not it. That's not the life we've signed up for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> been given. Yeah. But. One of the things that I wanted to, um, to ask you about that you, that you write about in the book and you kind of talk about, you know, through, uh, through your healing process and everything is just this idea of premature grief mm-hmm. as well and how you experienced that. Can you kind of unpack what that is and like just what that looked like for you as well? Yeah, I think the the first time it was ever explained to me was um, I was telling my counselor at the time um, that we had just gotten a dog recently and um, she's sitting at my feet right now, but um, she's, you know, she's like my best buddy. I loved her so much, but I found myself kind of imagining her dying or like imagining going to the vet and finding out like we had no idea she was really sick and we were going to lose her. And um, I kind of was experiencing this in other areas of my life. And I I kind of told my psychiatrist, like, I'm having such a hard time just experiencing like the sweetness of having this little dog that loves me and, and that I love. And he kind of introduced me to this concept of premature grief. You know, once you've gone through something really hard, it's hard to just imagine good things or experience good things without imagining something awful that could happen because you can no longer live as if those things aren't possible, Mm -hmm. um, as if bad things aren't going to happen to you. And, um, so he really helped me kind of, kind of work towards living in the moment and just saying, and not in a cliche way, you know, live in the moment. Um, But more like, okay, I'm here right now in this room. I have this sweet little dog um, who, you know, takes care of me and I take care of her and she's here now. And I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but like we can have a good day now. And it was kind of like a mental muscle. I really had to start exercising and it still creeps in now. You know, um, I'll hear sirens on the street and I'll think, oh, they're going to my husband's job. There's probably been a shooting at his job or like just imagining really horrible things. Um, so it still kind of creeps up, but, um, over the years I've kind of figured out ways to talk to God about it and to find kind of grounding in, in my life and just try to experience good things. Um, but yeah, that was something I, I'd never really heard about or experienced before. Yeah. So does that look like self-talk for you or like what, what, like, what does that look like whenever like, Hey, because when, 
like, let's just like, I don't know if role play for a little bit or just like yeah. imagine the scenario of like, okay, so, so the grief is coming up. Like, mm-hmm. what does that look like for you? How do you, how do you deal with that and everything? Yeah. Um, so I talk out loud to myself yeah. a lot and, uh, um, you know, at first I think that felt really uncomfortable to me, but, um, I think in a lot of traditional um, therapy, they call it grounding exercises. So I just start talking to myself about what's happening around me. Um, so, you know, if, if I'm imagining, you know, someone close to me dying or something, I'll, I'll say, okay, I'm in my house. I'm in South Carolina. Um, I'm in my living room. I'm safe. Uh, my husband is here. He's safe. We are watching, uh, a movie I'm eating a snack. I can feel um, my dog at my feet. I can feel the blanket on my lap. I'm safe. And just kind of reminding myself where I'm at now, not what might happen, not what has happened, but that I'm okay now. And, um, you know, now I can kind of get away with a lot of this like out loud talk because it's just my dogs and I have a toddler and he, you know, he doesn't have any care about what I'm talking about. So in the future, this might look different. Sometimes I can do it in my head, but yeah. for me, it's really helpful to, to speak it out loud and put it, kind of get some of that fear out. And I think it's the same way talking to God. You know, I've, I've, I, I don't know that I ever like prayed out loud alone um, much before, but now I, I love to do that. And um, yeah, I think it really helps me like just, um, find some calm. And I do this, I do that with, um, if I feel like an anxiety attack or a panic attack coming on, or if I'm feeling like some PTSD symptoms or wake up from a nightmare, like those grounding exercises have been one of the most effective tools, um, for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I do something very similar as well. And I just call it therapy with Caleb. Oh, that's so great. I love that. <laughs> yeah. That's perfect. Uh, yeah. I was going to say, now my friends are like, oh yeah, we know what you mean. Cause at first it's just like, a, it's like a weird thing and everything is yeah. like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. We know what you're talking about. That's so great. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I'll start calling uh, it therapy with Taylor. Yes. There you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, uh, another thing that I wanted to ask you about is, um, you know, so, so you have the, the shooting incident happened and then, you know, you get married, you know, uh, several, several years pass and, you know, you're working, you're going to counseling and working through the healing process. And then like you decide that, Hey, like this isn't just going to become something like, Hey, my, my opinions, my beliefs have changed, but like, you're going, like, you're going public with it. Like you yeah. were, be- you were becoming like a figure to be like, Hey, I'm putting my, I'm putting myself out there. Yeah. What what was the the turning point for you? What was the thing that made you go from like, yeah, my beliefs have changed, but like I, I actually feel like I need to um be a representative or or a, or a champion for this cause. Yeah, I mean, it sounds so simple, but it's like it just kept happening. Mm. Like shootings just kept happening. You know, I'll never forget like the first one I heard about after my shooting and I you know, I don't know. There was like something in me that was like, okay, well, this very awful thing happened to me and it was so terrible and we would never let this happen to more people. So it'll stop happening. Yeah. Although that clearly wasn't reality, but it's just kind of something I felt and it just kept happening. And I realized like if I had shifted in, in my beliefs, um, cause the important thing to know is that time went by. It's not that I, was pro-gun and then I got shot and then I was anti-gun. There was a, a while, like a few years that that kind of um, happened between where I was really wrestling with um, kind of truths about God that were new to me and that I was experiencing. And like being so pro-gun and so pro-Second Amendment just didn't fit with me anymore. Mm-hmm. It couldn't fit with how my faith looked and what I knew to be true about Jesus. and um, kind of being part of his kingdom on earth. It just didn't fit. And and I thought, well, there's probably other people out there asking the same questions that came from a similar background as me. And maybe I can be the access point to this conversation. And so I kind of started like dipping my toes in to the conversation. And um, it was really kind of hard and scary at first, although it's so funny looking back. I think like one of the first five tweets I sent out about this 
one of them ended up like on the uh, homepage of the BBC website. And I was like, well, that's a good way to um, kind of launch myself yeah. into this. Um, that was effective. Um, but probably the main turning point for me was the the Pulse nightclub shooting. And I write about this in my book. And, mm-hmm. you know, it happened like on a Saturday night. Um, so it was the first thing I heard about when I woke up on, on that Sunday. And you know, we were going to church and I just thought, okay, well, we're definitely going to talk about this at church. Like the pastor knows me and my family, you know, what we've been through and yeah, we'll talk about this. We'll pray about it. We'll pray for these people. And, um, you know, I sat through the service and nothing and still nothing. And I just, I couldn't believe it. Like that we, our nation was witnessing this kind of terrible shooting that, that took place. And, and I was at church and we weren't talking about it for whatever reason. Um, and that was no longer okay with me. And I just thought I need to be more involved in this. I need to bring a Christian perspective to this. I need to be able to create a space where people can say, oh, I've never thought about this. I've never understood this and share my story because stories are, are often our access point to experiences that we haven't had ourselves. Um, and by doing that, we're able to kind of invite people in to to witness something and, and see something that that they just can't see um, mm-hmm. without that. And so, that I hope that's what I've done um, and what I can continue to do. Um, yeah, you know, you mentioned the the story piece and how um, and you do especially in the like you do an incredible job of just leading with your story and everything and how that can connect with people as well is there anything else that you've learned that just really helps connect with people and help them see past the whatever the issue is and to see the people who are affected by that yeah. is there anything else that you've learned that helps you know just navigate those conversations and make them more healthy and productive yeah, I think one thing I I say is that you have to kind of go into those conversations assuming the best about each other. If you don't think the other person can do that for you, if you can't do that for whoever you're talking to, then it it probably isn't a great time to have that conversation. Um I think what helps me is saying to someone like, "Well, my goal with uh, gun safety, with with the work that I do, is to reduce death, to reduce suffering, to kind of uh, stop some of this generational community trauma that that our country is experiencing. How do you feel about that? Like, is that could that be a goal for you as well? Um, and if they say yes, then we can kind of start there and kind of go back and forth on what what they think is effective the information I can bring to the table. So many times I'll bring up a point, um, you know, I had a, a conversation with my dad once and I I kind of brought up this loophole in, um, in one of our laws. And I was like, did you know about this? Like, did you know that if a background check doesn't come back within three days, the, the firearm seller can just go through with the gun sale? He was like, I had no idea. That doesn't seem right. And I was like, no, it doesn't. Like maybe, uh, we could do something about this. What do you think about it? And he was like, yeah, look, like we can fix that. And boom, there's, there's some common ground that we just found because someone just doesn't know. I think right now, um, in a lot of areas, what we're really battling is, um, like misinformation Mm -hmm. and, um, just really volatile, uh, kind of information that we're kind of putting out in, into the world. And, it helps when we can just like talk to one another face to face and say like, Hey, I'm not trying to come to your house and take all your guns. Like that's never something that's been on the table. Like we've never talked about doing this, this, but this is what I think we could do. What do you think about that? Um, you know, and I think, and then, you know, on the other side, they're saying like, no, I, I don't really think anyone should be able to own whatever weapon they want at any time they want. Like, this is what I think. And, just kind of really like getting getting through some of that extra stuff that really isn't rooted in reality, but that's what we hear on the news and online. And um, yeah, kind of cutting through some of that that I think is is helpful. Yeah. I'd love to ask you some more about like, what would you say are some of like the, these are some of the big misconceptions around yeah. gun reform. 
Yeah. Um, I think that number one, that we want to take away everyone's guns. Um, that it's, that's never been something that's been proposed like on any sort of realistic level. Um, you know, no congressperson or president is, is saying that. Um, so, so that's not true. Um, or that we want to like get you know, amend the constitution to get rid of the second amendment altogether. That's also not something that's happening. That would be very, very difficult to do. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So we're, we're not doing that. Um, I think those are, are really the biggest ones. And then, you know, that there's kind of this slippery slope uh, attitude that people have about gun reform, that if we limit access to one type of gun, we'll limit access to all types of guns or all ammo or whatever the concern is. Um, and you know, the slippery slope thing is we call it a logical fallacy for a reason. It's because it's not really actually the way things work. And it's a bad way to describe something like that. You know, our, our laws and our system of democracy, there's a lot of checkpoints and we have checks and balances for a reason. So you can't just ram through, uh, crazy regulations and, and crazy laws. You know, we, we have many checkpoints where laws have to pass through things. And, and so I think like having a, a, a trust that the system will work to protect rights and and provide reasonable reforms. Um, you know, we we kind of have to have a, a foundation of of trust in the way things work, and and I think um, some of that has kind of been whittled away. So so we've got to kind of rebuild um, some of, of the trust there. But really, I think those are the biggest ones. Those are the comments I get. Those are the messages I get the most often. Yeah. What are I mean? You mentioned the the three days se- the the background check and how hey if it's not you know within three days they can still sell it. What are some other things just around like like that around the whole conversation of you know gun reformer or, or similar subjects to where it's like most people just don't know like these things. What would be some of those things? Yeah, so that one that I, I referenced that one's um, we we refer to that as the Charleston loophole because that's how the um, the shooter um, who killed nine people at a church here in Charleston, where I live, um, was able to get his gun. Um, the, one of the other ones that that we kind of call is the boyfriend loophole, and and that's where um, in most states, um, as far as domestic violence goes, because anyone who's commi- convicted of domestic violence, um, it shouldn't be allowed to access a gun. However, a lot of states still have a really narrow view of what's considered domestic violence. So it would only cover a spouse, an ex-spouse, or someone who lives in the home. Most states don't count a, a boyfriend or you know a, a partner um, as someone who could be convicted of domestic violence. What they would be convicted of is a simple assault. And a lot of those people are still able to buy a gun. And so we have a lot of scenarios where it really is a domestic violence situation, but our laws kind of haven't caught up with, with the types of relationships that exist, you know, now in the modern era. Um, and so boyfriends uh, who are convicted of assaults are able to go buy a gun and kill a lot of people that way. Um, so, so there we're just trying to get some of that language change to include those types of relationships into a law. Um, and those people most often that are convicted of domestic violence don't have to turn in their guns. So they're still able to access the guns that they have. And a lot of the gun violence we see in America is um, domestic violence related, whether it's women and children. Um, we're kind of seeing a lot of those things. Um, and, you know, I think most people don't know that, um, you know, there there aren't like waiting periods for guns. In most states, you can just go to a counter and fill out a form and take a gun home with you that day. There aren't limits on ammo. You can buy as, men, as much ammo as you want. You can have a house full of it if you want. Um, yeah. You know, all those kind of things. Um, you know, once people find out these things, I think um, that's... Those are important. Um, also, like, you know, we can go even into more obscure stuff. Like, yeah. we've seen a little bit uh, come out about 
the ATF um, recently. You know, Joe Biden, one of his uh, executive order plans was to appoint a head of the ATF, which we haven't had for years. And the ATF is the organization that's meant to uh, enforce gun laws. Um, There was legislation created years ago that made it so the ATF couldn't have digital records. So there's basically a warehouse in Charleston, West Virginia, um, where all these paper records are, are kept and people have to like physically dig through them. And, you know, that's the organization that that's supposed to enforce um, or keep track of like uh, gun theft and, and all those kind of things. And we have no actual way of keeping track of this because it's like it was created to be ineffective. Um, one other thing um, I like to to tell people about um, oh gosh, I can't remember what I was going to say. The ATF. Oh, um, we, we had a, a law come through, um, in the nineties, uh, that made it, uh, impossible to use federal funds for, um, gun violence research for the CDC to, to do gun violence research. We were literally barred um, from using those funds. So all of the research, all the studies that we have about gun violence um, are from like private entities who raise the money themselves um, or funded uh, privately to do gun violence research, um, which is just, it's fascinating. It's its kind of one of those uh, denial things like where you think if you don't have to, if you don't know the information, like you won't yeah. have to change your your actions. And, and uh, people always uh, surprised. And, and the person that kind of helps get that, uh, amendment through has since changed his mind and kind of goes around the country saying, oh no, I don't, I regret this. I, I didn't want this to happen. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of ways we can kind of get this information out there. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that came to mind just as I was reading through your book and it's, uh, I think the tension of it is expressed in your book, but it's also a lot. It's a lot bigger than that as well. Is this tension between, you know, our rights and our responsibilities mm. as people, and you know, depending on where you fall on this issue, I think you could probably see yourself as either being on these are my rights or these are my rights on either side sure. um, of it. And I would just love your thoughts on what have you learned about uh, just how do how can we navigate that con- like the, that tension well? Because like I said. It, it plays itself out in gun reform, but I feel like it, play, it I mean, COVID is a great example. It plays, yeah. like, it is so much bigger. It's just something as a country that we just, we deal with that tension. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's so interesting. I started writing this book in January, 2020. So uh, it was kind of like a, a parallel universe with COVID as I was writing it. So yes, a lot of these things kind of became clear, like, oh, this is, we don't just do this with guns. Like this is applicable to many, many things. Um, You know, and I, I, you know, reference this in the book, you know, the scripture where Paul is talking about, okay, yes, these rights are available to us, but do they bring true freedom? Does exercising this right that we're given bring true freedom for ourselves and our, our neighbors? How does this affect? Is this loving? And I think for those of us who live in America, you know, land of the free, um, it's just ingrained in us that like it's a free country. You know, I remember like using that as like a comeback when I was a child, like it's a free country. You know, it's just ingrained in us, this idea that like we can do whatever we want because it's a it's a freedom, we've been given it. So it's good to exercise it and use it. And you know, I think this is where the idea of, you know, are we viewing our first identity as an American or as a follower of Jesus for those of us who, um, you know, are Christians? Mm-hmm. I think we often look at um, the rights, the identity we've been given as Americans, you know, uh, in this case, exercising the Second Amendment first. And we said, we want to, I want to have a gun. I want to exercise my second amendment rights. And then, you know, saying, well, I, then I'm a Christian second, but I already want to do this. So I don't really know if my faith has anything to say about it versus saying I'm a Christian first. I, my identity first is in, in the Lord. How does that affect what I might want to do as an American or what might be available to me as an American? Um, you know, I was just thinking this morning how, you know, the church, we're supposed to look different, you know, um, how can we say, oh, 
Jesus is different. He's better. We're different here. If, if we look so much like the world and if we're clinging so hard to the things that um, the world is clinging to. And so I think just, and part of this is like our, our selfish nature. Like I want this, I want a gun. I want to have a hobby, you know, shooting guns, target practice. I like this. I want this. Um, and so saying, yes, I like this personally, but how is this affecting my neighbor? Could this be contributing could my attitude, could what I'm doing be contributing to a culture that says what I want is more important than maybe keeping other people safe or shielding people from suffering? And those are hard conversations to have with ourselves. Um, but, you know, I, I think at the root of, of this, as far as the church goes, um, that's kind of, of where I I find myself and, you know, I think, like you said, we, we saw this a lot with COVID and, you know, I don't have to wear a mask, but is it good for me to wear a mask? Is it good for others? And, uh, is this minor inconvenience to me helping others? If so, then yeah, I think I can handle that. Is this viewed as loving to people? Would other people feel loved, um, or cared for if I did this? Um, then maybe that's a good thing. And I think, um, you know, we could, kind of shift that to guns as well. Like, would my community see it as loving for me to let go a little bit of this? Um, then maybe we could, could explore that. Yeah. That, uh, it's such an interesting point that you were saying, like really hard, it's a hard conversation to have with yourself Yeah, in it. Just because, especially right now, you throw in politics, we think about hard, hard conversations with other people, but we don't really talk about the hard conversations with yourself. That's just a very intriguing idea. Do you, do you have any other thoughts on that? I mean, yeah, we don't like, we don't really value that like type of like internal um, debate. You're kind of just expected to, to know everything. And, um, but, but that's where like our, you know, if we want to get like all Christian-y, yeah. I think that that's where like a lot of our like sanctification process comes from, kind of processing um, what we're feeling, our response to things, how it's affecting those around us. Um, you know, I, as a mom, like I'm doing this constantly, like, what does my child need? And I really don't want to do that. <laughs> like, I want to do this other thing. And like my two and a half year old isn't respecting this boundary or like, you know, I'm just constantly having to like feel, um, you know, shaped and molded and by, by God in myself. And I'm having these com- hard conversations with myself. Even then I'm saying, wow, I am really selfish. <laughs> like, wow, I'm really not like being loving, um, towards my child or my husband right now. Um, and we need to do that with these other things. And it's kind of what we talked about before of like kind of pulling on these threads of beliefs and opinions. Like that has to start inside and we can process it with other people and talk about it. But ultimately we're going to have to, you know, have a conversation with ourselves saying like, hey, Taylor, um, this feels disorienting, but I think, I think I'm shifting here. I think I'm um, feeling different about something. Am I being selfish? Have I been cruel? Um, have I acted poorly towards others? Have I just chosen to not see uh, someone's story or their suffering or their needs? Um, and and then I think, you know, repenting of that, asking God to help us do this better, and then just being kind to ourselves. Hey, I, d- I did my best. I was doing the best I could. And, and now I'm going to learn from that and move on. Um, yeah, I don't know that we like value so much like our internal mind. Um, yeah. But yeah. well, uh, a couple other things I want to ask you is for for the person who's listening there, just like okay, this is this is an overwhelming thing. You know, it's a it's a big topic to talk sure. about, and sometimes it yeah. could be like, what the heck, what the heck do I do with this thing? What are some like what's one or two things like? Hey you can get more involved in this conversation and, you know, helping move this along through doing these things. Yeah. Um, I think, um, taking a look at, um, how gun violence is your affecting your community, you know, a quick Google search gun violence here or wherever you live. Yeah. 
kind of just finding out, like you may not think it's happening close to you because you might just not have to know or see it. And I think finding out how it's affecting your local community is a good way to just take notice um, and just decide to to pay attention. Um, And uh, finding out if there's a local violence prevention organization in your community, um, they're really doing important work. And that's really where we're seeing a lot of um, reduced rates of gun violence is, is by those organizations that are involved because they know what your community needs and what the people there need. Um, another great thing you can do is kind of what I recommend people do is go to, um, there's a few resources, um, every town for gun safety, there's, um, Brady law center, uh, against gun violence. Um, sites like these have just fact sheets that you can find and they just kind of lay out little little bits of information that you can just take a look at. Pick one topic. Um, maybe you want to learn about um, child-involved shootings, you know, unintentional shootings. Maybe you can learn a little bit about domestic violence-related shootings. Whatever it is that, that you want and just take in a little bit of information at a time. The biggest thing I think we have to remember is that we're not going to end gun violence. Like, I think having that in your mind, and I admittedly have a shirt that says we can end gun violence because it's, you know, it's a nice thought. It's like a nice goal to have, but realistically, like there are a lot of guns and barring some sort of miracle, which, you know, I believe God is capable of, but barring this, like we we're kind of in a bad way with the amount of guns here and gun violence is kind of part of our reality because there are there is sin and there are evil people and there's a lot of suffering and, and people are feeling it. And, and we just, we do have violence. So remembering that and saying the goal here, the goal for me is not to end gun violence. It's just, it's to reduce it. It's to find ways that we can limit uh, access to guns by dangerous people. We can uh, break cycles of generational trauma from families who have experienced a lot of gun violence and poverty because of it. And in the book, I, I kind of talk about how gun violence affects poverty rates and kind of keeps people in, in these cycles. Um, so just remembering, like, it's we got to start somewhere. We don't yeah. have to have this massive goal that feels so unattainable. Um, it's just these these things that we can do. And, and that's why the conversations we have are so important. And it doesn't feel like maybe a conversation with your uncle Joe at Thanksgiving is going to change the world, but maybe it will. And, and you might not see that, but um, you know, the idea is to just have people who are willing to to talk about it and say, this is how I feel. How do you feel? Yeah. Like that's it. Yeah. You know, that's important. Yeah. I have one other thing I want to ask you, but is there anything that we haven't covered that you want to talk about? No, I think, yeah, I think we've been rolling. Yeah. Okay. Last thing I want to ask you is, and you kind of, uh, I mean, you just talked about it. Gun reform is a big thing. And I'm sure that mm-hmm. there's days to where it feels very overwhelming for you. It mm-hmm. just feels like a lot. And, you know, rest, like, do you want, like, just, I'm sure the thoughts just come, do I want to continue to do this? Do I want to do something else? What helps you on those days whenever you're feeling that way? And, you know, either replenish yourself, encourage yourself, anything like that. Um, spending time with my son. Yeah. You know, he's two and a half and he has no idea that these bad things happen out in the world. And, um, you know, I think that I could easily like want to throw in the towel. And some days I'm like, well, maybe I'll just hide out after this book comes out. And like, maybe I will never talk about this again. And then I look at him and I see his classmates Mm -hmm. and my friends with kids and I just think, I, we've got to make this better for them. Like these kids deserve better. My neighbors deserve better. Like we've let this cycle go on for so long. You know, like I grew up in the post-Columbine world. Like I remember the lockdown drills and it's only gotten worse, like for our kids. And, you know, I don't want, I, I say like my nightmares that, you know, Henry will get older and ask like, why didn't you do anything? <laughs> You know, where were the adults? Where are the grownups? And I think we've been asking that for a long time. And and I would like to be the grown-up, I think. And so when I'm upset and I'm feeling hopeless, like I just look at Henry and say, Man, like he's worth it. Yeah. He's worth it. And um, and you know, like 
talking to the Lord about it, uh, being in community with with my friends that encourage me and reading fun books and listening to fun podcasts and watching silly TV shows and, you know, doing all those things like having an iced coffee, like whatever I can do, like, you know, it's okay. It's okay to like steal away and not think about bad, horrible things every moment of the day. So I do plenty of that too. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it goes back to living in the moment. Like you talked Absolutely. about Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I can't solve gun violence right now, you know? Yeah. And while I was writing the book, I had a post-it note on my desk that just said, your book will not end gun violence. Mm-hmm. So there's so much pressure on, on when we, we imagine these big things, you know, and yeah. my book, I think, I hope it helps a lot of people. I hope it impacts a lot of people, but it's not going to end gun violence. I'm just doing my best. I'm just yeah. doing what the Lord asked me to do. And like, however he uses it, that's awesome. But like, it's not on me to do all this alone. Um, and that's good news. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Taylor, I know that people are going to want to continue to learn from you and pick up the book. It's a great read. I highly recommend it as well. Where's, where's the best place for people? And I mentioned this beforehand. You're a great follow on Twitter. Where's the best place for people to go to, you know, uh, connect with you, keep up with you, you know, all, all of that, buy the book, all that good stuff. Yeah, so my website is um, taylorschumann.com, and there you can sign up for my newsletter. There's a link to all the places you can buy the book at. It's on Amazon, Target, um, Barnes & Noble, your local independent bookstore. Um, And then, yeah, follow me on Twitter. Um, I'm Taylor S. Schumann there, and um, Taylor Schumann writes on Instagram. And yeah, I'd love if you come hang out with me. Yeah. Well, sincerely, thank you so much just for doing the work, because I know that it's it's not easy to necessarily share your story. And just thank you for being on the podcast as well. Thank you so much. So coming out of that conversation with Taylor, I think there's a couple of things uh, that I've thought about since, since we ended up talking. And one of them is just around um, this idea. And I've I've mentioned in the podcast before, but uh, just this tension between our rights as individuals and our responsibilities to other people. And how at some point they conflict, at some point they run into each other, at some point there's tension amongst those things. And that may not be uh, a big deal to you, but for me personally, especially whenever I filter in um, my faith and I look at that through the lens of my faith, that is a game changer for me. Because as a follower of Jesus, I don't have the luxury of just ignoring how my actions affect other people. No. And so thinking through that, and that's something that I'm still um, wrestling with and thinking through, and not just as it pertains to this topic on gun violence, but I think it applies to so many different things as well, just the tension between our own individual rights and our responsibilities to, to our neighbors. I think the second thing is, and I'm not entirely sure how to phrase it, but just her, her mindset or her attitude as it pertains to this conversation of just very much um, knowing that she has her own opinions on gun violence and gun control and, and how that works out. But very much so, just from talking with her, just very much so me getting the vibe from her that she just wants more people involved in the conversation and trying to figure out how do we address this problem, this challenge that we have, and being willing to engage more people in the conversation. And that's something that I just greatly admire, is her willingness um, just to live that out. And so I'm super grateful for her and being willing to talk with me here in the Learner's Corner. Uh, If you learned something from this conversation, I would love to hear from you as well. Or as I said, uh, if you have some more resources uh, and some articles and stuff that that you've learned from as it pertains to this topic, I would love to hear from that as well. The best way to reach out to me is, you know, uh, you can hit me up on my email, calebmason91 at gmail.com. Would love to hear from you in terms of that. Otherwise, uh, oh, I do want to give a couple of quick shout outs. I want to say thanks to Garrett for doing the Garrett Oler for doing the editing in the podcast, Sam Massey for providing the music to the podcast. And again, thank you to Taylor for not only being on the podcast, for just being willing to do the work. And I know that it's not easy. You know, I, I can't remember if I mentioned this in the 
interview or not, but uh, just I follow her on Twitter and just seeing just all of the um, all of the criticism that she has to deal with by simply wanting to engage in a conversation around this. And so I'm just really grateful for her and for the work that she is doing as well. So I think that's all that I have for today. So my name is Caleb Mason. And until next time, keep learning and keep growing.